three, two, one. That's right. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present of everyday people. Yes, indeed. And now, here's your host, the one, the only, Asher Chua. Hey, Brendan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Asher. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. You're welcome. Yeah, good to good to hear from you again. Likewise, it's been a yeah. it's been a not too much of a minute, but a little bit. I think maybe we spoke this year, or was it last year? It was. I think it was earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, can't remember uh, exactly when it was, but yeah, it was. I think it was earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I wish I would have recorded this, but then. I- it was like, I do remember that. <laughs> but the, the part about it that I'm glad I I didn't rush it because then it it's not, I could have lost, when I think about it, I could have, you could have lost some respect for me to be like, I'm asking you to do something and you're not willing to just wait a little bit for later. It's like some people say you only live once and it's like, yeah, it's true. You, you only live once and you've got to take opportunities, but also that for me was almost like an opportunity to respect a boundary or respect a request when it's like not right now let's just let's catch up let's talk for an hour let's kind of like get back at the speed because we hadn't Mm -hmm. we hadn't seen each other or we hadn't really had a chance to chat like that for a couple couple years Uh, at least a couple years yeah because i think last time we were in the same location was in illinois yeah wasn't it? yeah we were yeah. in plainfield plainfield so yeah that was back in 2015 yeah. yep 2015 you're right because yeah, i was i was, was there from march to september mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was a interesting experience uh like for me coming into the u.s as a canadian and <clears throat> kind of getting a bit of an insight into like you kind of always see the u.s culture from out outsider's perspective and a lot of it is kind of especially in canada you just assume that it's the same in canadian culture so actually getting the chance to live in the u.s was really um like eye-opening is not the right word because it kind of was knew what to expect but just sort of interesting hmm. yeah and kind of like oh okay so this is why the sitcoms are like this <laughs> this is why yeah or a, a big one was uh like a, you know you know the movie office space yeah 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 so like I had worked in offices in Canada. I'm like, oh, that's not really what they're like. They're probably more casual than that. But when I was in Plainfield, I'm like, okay, this is like a full-on office space type office. 100%. And mm-hmm. what's funny about that, it's like when you say sitcom, I feel like that cap and sitcoms and office space, I think sitcom, I think something like friends and then office space. I'm like, that, that makes sense because you guys were over on the north side of the building and I, I remember walking through there once or twice and I was like, I don't know if I could work in this type of environment because I just came from being out on a construction site for nine months, like in the middle of the Louisiana heat. And then we transitioned over to like the cold when it was 19 degrees, come up to Chicago on the day, it's supposed to be negative seven, driving through the snow for the first time. And then you're in an office where I, tra- I went from being on site to being in the office, but working like in the corporate technology department where they build tools and things like that. It was like, you'd have conversations across 
the hall from somebody's yelling from their office or somebody's like, Hey, come over here. I, I need you to look at this. So it's like, there was still like that camaraderie and that back and forth, but then going over to where you guys were at, it's like eerily quiet. Yeah. And then you just see like, I, I'm guessing, did you have the experience of like, Hey, I need the, uh, what's the report that they say? The TPS reports. I need yeah. those TPS reports. Could, could you get, could you get me those TPS reports? Yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a lot of like, just a lot of the people too, because it was a big open, it was open concept, but it's like open cubicle farm. Mm-hmm. So like you had your little bubble in your cubicle, but you didn't really interact with the people in the cubicles over unless you needed something from them. Yeah. And there's, there's certain people there that I remember where there it's like, yeah, this is uh, your entire life as exciting as it's going to get. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't think I can, I could, it was, I was fine to be there when it was, but I'm like, yeah. I don't think I could stay there. That's kind of scary. Yeah. A lot of it too. mm -hmm. I noticed the the work was kind of because it was supporting construction. So I like worked in engineering and uh, doing design work and Mm -hmm. project controls, planning construction. So you're always talking about the field and talking about the the job site, but it's something that not a lot of, I wouldn't get the chance to visit. Some of the other engineers would, but so it's, you're always kind of looking you're you're looking from the outside on this project that's happening but it doesn't even feel real and that's the thing i've I've noticed with some of the other design jobs that i've had it's just you see this thing on the the 3d model on the screen but it still doesn't feel real until you you visit the construction site right and that that's where i guess like you said that that's where I, i for me it was almost like a blessing in disguise at first, I spent a month in Houston before I got to go out to the site and actually see the thing I'd been looking at on the paper and then seeing how they you talk about people working metal. You think about like a 30, like a 30 foot sheet of metal that's like an inch, inch and a half thick. And they just move this thing almost like it's butter. And like being able mm-hmm. to see that almost felt like it made a huge difference to like connecting the dots and to that point, also you you being like going from a design office or coming from the field to the design office, and now like the people out there, they have a better appreciation for you when they see you there. If you don't know, you like ask the question, like, "Hey, how do you, how do you do this? I I don't know what I'm doing." They're just like, "Oh, you you're college educated. You went here," and it's like it's kind of like an insecurity, but at the same time, like it's a feeling out process where it's like, okay, I can trust you and you can trust me and we're working on this together. So, okay, you seem all right. I'll, I'll tell you a little, a little thing or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, that was huge on all the construction sites I went to. And cause I think it's true when us young guys right out of school go to these construction sites where the guys have been there for 40 years mm-hmm. and cause I think a lot of engineers are really arrogant like that. And I'm sure other young professionals are too where they come to these older people and they think they know better because they're better educated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they start ordering these guys around. But like, I was aware of that kind of stigma, like with the engineering ring and they like, they kind of ignore you. So when I went to the construction sites in Alberta, I, um, I treated myself like a, like a, like a begin a beginner is not the right word, but you know, like a, a novice to the industry and, and was very humble about it and just sort of treated everybody with respect. And I got a lot out of it. And mm. well, partly because uh, the first construction site I went to, we were building oil tanks or oil storage tanks. And the girl that I was replacing 
Mm-hmm. Um, the guys told me afterwards, like she was terrible at her job. You're, and I was still like a beginner into all this and didn't really know what I was doing, but I was really trying to figure it out. And like, mm-hmm. you're doing so much better than she was. Right. Um, so I think it was a combination of that and a combination of me not pretending like I really knew what was going on more than anybody else did. Right. It got me a lot of respect. And I think that helped a lot, especially in my early career. Yeah. It it seems like just just that little bit of like assuming, not well, maybe not assuming, but recognizing that you don't know something and being willing to ask, but then not stopping there and taking what's given to you and, and kind of going a little bit beyond that. I, I think a lot of people seem to appreciate that, especially when you're going from like the complete opposite where somebody comes in, they act like they know it all, they mess everything up and they leave people in a worse position than where they were at because they like wanted so badly to prove something like I'm going to be the first person from my family, or I'm going to be the first one from this school, or I'm going to be the best there ever was. I'm going to make a name for myself. It's like, Mm. maybe, like, maybe Mm -hmm. not. Maybe you'll be remembered as like, don't be this engineer. As long as you do that, you pass. Oh yeah. Um, Do you, do you know who Chris Hadfield is? The name sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't picture him at the moment. Yeah. He's a, he's a Canadian astronaut and he was, did a bunch of space shuttle missions and he was the commander of the international space station for a while. But mm. uh, I read his book and one of his books, he's got multiple now. And one of the things that I, that you just reminded me of is uh, one of the kind of lessons he gives in the book is the, the title of the chapter is like aim to be a zero. So he says that if you're new in a situation, You can be a plus one, a zero, or a minus one. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that is you can either, as a zero, you would kind of keep the status quo how it is and keep things rolling. As a plus one, you're really benefiting the scenario Mm -hmm. and you're making things better by being there. And then a minus one means, like you said, you're you're making it worse. You're, even though it doesn't matter if you're trying or not, but you're making things worse by your being there. So he says, especially for a beginner, should aim to be a zero. So, and and that kind of goes into what you said with, yeah, if you go there and you just try not to make things worse, you're doing good, especially as a, as a new engineer or new anything really. What's funny about that, I feel like I, I learned on the, the first construction job, especially being able to sit back for a minute and observe, like what what's funny is that going out there or being sent on the, on the job site or even like through the program that they sent us, it's like they intentionally know that being a new graduate, although you have this degree that says you're to this level, you know absolutely nothing about their business. And the people that they send you to work with, they've been doing it for 15, 20, 40 years. And it's like they know it like the back of their hand. But being willing to go there and learn from someone whenever you point out like we had um maybe one mistake that was made where the drawing they had like hidden lines drawn and one piece of metal was supposed to go under another one and once it was discovered it was like it's okay to admit a mistake and once we admit the mistake we can correct it and move on you might get teased about it for missing it but like that rapport built from like just making the time to learn acting on what you learned about and growing from there really seems to, it, it just seemed to go a long way and just make the process that much better. I think something I learned outside of the construction site, just from every day, how we came in, I learned how to reverse park for the first time. Oh, nice. And like, 
I wouldn't have thought about it, but like that's what I saw everybody doing because it's like you want to back in that way whenever you get off of work, you're tired, you just pull out of there. (laughs) If there's if there isn't like a long line where all the contractors are trying to get out to go home, it's like you can be quick to get out. You don't have to back up trying to figure out, oh, is there is there somebody behind me as I'm backing up? But that's something practical, just doing it every Mm -hmm. single day over that period of nine months. I was like, oh now. I know this skill and I go home and like my mom's like, Oh, like you do that so well. And I'm like, yeah, first three months, it was a real struggle. It's like back in sideways, back in this way. And it's like, Oh, oh yeah. now, now I get it. Now I get it. The body mechanics are back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really like, I try to do that in just parking lots sometimes. And then sometimes I'm just way off because if you're using two lines as a reference, it's tough, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I remember they did that up, up a lot in the oil sands too. And somebody told me once is that is because if there's like some kind of disaster, like if the, the plant catches on fire, you want to be able to get out of there as soon as possible. Hundred percent. Just get in and drive. Yeah. But I think that kind of concept though is very much where you kind of front load your work a little bit mm-hmm. to make it easier for your future self. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I, I really like doing that, but it's just, it takes a little bit more effort up front, which is sometimes really difficult. So right. like backing in first, you're saving yourself, like not really a whole lot of time, but like mentally it's, it's very refreshing. Yeah. You don't have but, to, you don't have to think about it so long as you can find your car in the, the <laughs> thousand car parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all the trucks look the same on the sites. Oh, man. But one thing that you mentioned with like, which was something you introduced me to in our group of friends, like talking about front loading was, I think it came out at that time or maybe a a year or two before was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And just like having that idea of being like, okay, obviously we come in here, we work 40 hours a week, give or take. We have the flex schedule where we can have a three-day weekend alternating every other week. But now it's like, how in the world is this guy talking about, you only have to work four hours out of a 40-hour week. That's like 10% of the time that you're there. Like, are you really mm-hmm. telling me that with 10% of the time I can be that effective? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think part of the thing with that too is that uh, this isn't true for everybody, but I think in a typical eight-hour day, like office space again it's like how many hours in the day are you really actually productive and effective and like the joke in office space was that in any given day he does 15 minutes of real actual work and the rest of the time he's just coming in later just sitting there doing nothing so it's and I've, i've heard studies and such too where like humans can only really be truly productive for like four to six hours and so if you have eight hours to do one thing, you're probably going to fill that eight hours. Um, even if you can do it in four hours, you're going to fill that eight hours up just to fill the time. Cause that's what you were allotted. Yeah. Yeah. But I like the idea of just improving efficiency and automation and delegating and all that kind of stuff is really good for time saving. Gotcha. Hey, um, could you turn, turn your light on? It seems like it's getting darker on your end a little bit. I think it is. Just a sec. Okay. That's much better. Well, that I was watching you. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to. I was like, you know what? Back to the you only live once or take advantage of the opportunities. I was like, hey, if the first five minutes or first 15 minutes are like that, 
at least if you have a chance to correct correct course correct for the rest of the time and you can go from there mm -hmm. yeah there we go it looks like you got a a ring light on you yeah <laughs> <coughs> you see it in your reflection of your glasses someone someone mentioned to me it's like it's really dark in there where you're recording you should get a ring light and i was like well you seem to be using them like the past few years like you you get me one and uh i'll pay you back for it so that way it's like I, I don't have to go through the the struggle of do I get this one or that one? Like the SpongeBob thing is like, this thing says best in town, but this soap says best around in town, around. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I have a better. tendency to overanalyze. So you you do it. You're, you're very good at like quick decision making. So help me out here. And they yeah. did. And it, it came in like last month. So I've been using it and learning how to just get the lighting right and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. Yeah, man, like talking about like deciding on what to buy in general, though, mm -hmm. um, I was actually reading this book about, I think it was called How to Decide. And it talked about like decision anxiety and how to make big decisions and stuff. But mm -hmm. one of the things it mentioned was when you're looking at a bunch of different, say, ring lights, they probably all are very similar. So it's like you're really stressing about like, oh, should I get this one or that one or this? But you have to keep in mind, no matter what you buy, as long as it's like, relatively okay like in the top 50 percent of ring lights uh when you bring it home it's not a diff you're not comparing the ring light to all the other ring lights you're comparing the ring light to not having a ring light mm -hmm. so it's going to be much better than not having one right um so you don't get that buyer's remorse as much yeah exactly um so like recently i was actually thinking my my car uh broke down for about two months and well, it didn't have to be two months, but that's what ended what it ended up being. <laughs> so it, it had, it's an old car. And it was that age old question, like, oh, do I repair it or do I buy a new car? Mm. And so I'm, I'm, I've been interested in an electric car for a while. So I was test driving electric cars and such, but it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, all of these are very similar. They have very similar features, similar prices. So like, how do I decide based on these minor differences? And I thought about that. I'm like, okay, well, no matter what I get, it'll be way better than this old car. Right. Uh, and I shouldn't worry too much. Um, but ultimately, I ended up repairing the old car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you're back. You're better than you were because you don't have a broken car anymore. Don't have a broken car. I know about, about all these cars and a lot largely of what I don't like. Mm. Um, for example, I never really thought about it much, but so you know me, I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm like six foot five. Mm -hmm. So, and I have a pretty long torso too. So basically every car I'm ever in, the seat is as low as it can go. But what I noticed in a lot of these new cars and even my old car now that I'm driving it again, was that when I'm in that, in the seat and I'm, I'm in a comfortable seated position, the rear view mirror is about at eye level with me. Like, so um, and especially in a lot of the new cars, the, they all have a, a, a back or a front camera behind the rear view mirror. So, and to support that camera, there's a big black box around, behind the rear view mirror. So in the new cars at eye level, big black blocks covering the right side of me driving in the windshield. And it's a big safety hazard. So that already like, I am like, okay, I can't drive this car and I can't drive this car because I can't see out to the right side of the windshield. And, but even then I thought my current car was better, but now that I'm driving it again, it's the same thing, but it just doesn't have that black box behind it. Um, so I don't know. Um, I rode in my friend's Subaru a little while ago. I'm like, okay, well this 
for surprisingly has a really big windshield. So maybe I should get a, maybe I'll wait for an electric Subaru. Yeah. It's funny. Like Subaru seems like one of those brands you don't hear about as much, but I feel like I learned about them watching commercials, uh, from the tour de France. Like I, I would watch oh. it from time to time. I, I, only learned about it through doing landscaping and my supervisor a lot of times they would enjoy watching the race when armstrong was still doing his thing and everybody didn't think he was like the worst like the scum of the earth but like they would always have this advertisement where they run it to say hey like sign up for this sweepstakes and you could win a subaru and it's like like to your point again with the decision making there's so many things out there where you have like brands and staple names and some of them they wouldn't kind of like the popularity contest but others they they have that reliability factor like people know like honda toyota nissan very stable cars very reliable and also i think i think it's something else you'd introduce me to because right about that time my car was on its last legs and within the next year, when I found myself in Augusta, I was forced to change it out because it had like that clicking sound, couldn't figure out what was going on with the hazard light. And finally, when I was driving to, uh, to Vogel, the side of the road from time to time, they'd have these giant potholes there that weren't fixed. And I came around one corner, just weird on a rainy day. And it mm -hmm. like cracked my... Um, like the rim, I guess that's what you call the tire, like the rim itself. Yeah, the, it bent it bent that and I had to get it towed. And it was like, yeah, at this point, it was looking like at an expense of a thousand dollars. This might be another couple hundred dollars. The car itself costs three thousand or thirty six hundred dollars. It's like I'm over half of the price of the car. Mm -hmm. I gotta get a new one. So mm -hmm. it was like get a rental, start looking around. And I was like, I had my mind set on a, a car versus like an SUV, like getting a sedan, because like growing up where I'm at now, a lot of people drive the Jeeps, the Grand Cherokee, that's like one of the staple cars, or some people that really have the money, they drive the Hummer, but I forget what the resource is, but it's something that you'd pointed me to or something I'd asked around, and it was this thing that pointed to being frugal and getting the thing you actually need versus getting what you think you need where mm -hmm. a car for instance a lot of times you're like oh i need all this space i need trunk space i need this and it's like okay you might need trunk space but it's like how much stuff like what kind of job do you have what do you carry on a regular basis if you do a lot of commuting like these cars like cars are good for commuting to get like 30 miles to the gallon or more and then if you really want to take a road trip, you can not only use your trunk space, but you can pull like some cars, you can pull a hitch on it. They're as strong as like pulling a fridge as you would instead of needing a truck to like move a bed and other things like that. And it was considering some of those things, I'd ended up getting a Toyota Corolla and I was like, it meets this criteria, but I had that like buyer's remorse because I forced myself to buy it after doing a rental for two weeks. And I was like, I really like the rental, but I don't want to pay this much because I don't want to find myself in debt. I want to be able to pay off this car in a few years and have like no student loan, no car debt. And five years later now, I'm like, hey, this car hasn't given me much issue. Like the only thing I've really had to do is change the tires driving almost everywhere at this point. And it's like that. I like that you brought that up, just that decision. It's you had something 
or you didn't have something, now you have it. So mm-hmm. the situation is not as bad as you thought it was. And you actually learned something in the process if you went through that research and like, maybe this works or I definitely don't want that black box in the rearview mirror next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of choosing something based on what you're going to use it for, like 80% 80 or 90% of the time, rather than that 10%. Mm. Like, sure, if you have a big family and everything, get a big car. But if it's just you driving to work 80% of your driving, then yeah, you don't really need a big car. And yeah. people don't realize how expensive bigger cars are. Like it's um, with gas mileage. And I think gas prices are like going out of control right now especially where i live and yeah it's like three dollars where we're at and that's rare it's usually been like two and a half to like one maybe uh, when it Mm -hmm. got really low but like three dollars throughout south georgia the southeast it's it's pretty wild so i'm guessing it's four or five dollars where you guys are at yeah something like that it's we're in uh like it's in liters Mm. so oh that's right yeah it's a dollar fifty Dollar fifty liters to gallons. Wait, so if it's one liter is 0.26 gallons. So then to convert to gallons, it'd be I don't know. I gotta look up a converter. No problem. How many, how much? You know what's funny? That that's something um I think we talked about from time to time, but being able to like you ask a question of yourself. And sometimes you're like, oh, maybe I'll just make it up on the spot. But I always appreciate that you, you like back to, okay, can I use this? It's, if I can figure this out, let me figure it out now. That way I have the answer and I don't delay, maybe take up brain space later or just be like, well, what was that thing? It's like, no, I know it now. And that's it. And then I I don't have to like mull over it anymore and be like, "Ah, was it, wasn't it? What'd you come up with? So it's five fifty a gallon mm. in Canadian, which I think would be like um, like four fifty US or or yeah, yeah four fifty to five dollars a gallon. A yeah, we're we're in like the one of the heaviest tax provinces mm-hmm. as far as fuel goes. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty steep. Gotcha. But yeah, like uh, so many people just sort of make things up on this on the spot and just have a real problem saying they don't know and it bothers me but also i enjoy it at the same time though because if i know and can just like show them that they're wrong then it's like um like you know i like catching people like that (laughs) but uh i don't know with all the conspiracy theories and such lately it's i've noticed that and i've read about it too like if you tell people that they're wrong and show them the data to prove that they're wrong it doesn't actually change their mind yeah they dig in a little bit more they dig in more so it's you got to be careful with that right but i don't know i like to know the truth about things if i can so, right which involves looking it up really quick instead of just guessing right <laughs> but the funny thing i I'll, i want to come back to the the four hour work week or i guess mm-hmm. also go back to like you like we were talking before where you're at now how you got there and what's next but i think something that'd be great to kind of be a jumping off point would be to ask you this question who do you say you are oh yeah question (laughs) question i was actually i was thinking about that today and in short i kind of i think that's a question about identity and how you see yourself and i think how i see myself is 
basically someone who's trying to live as ethically as possible within kind of the framework of society. Um, and what I kind of mean by that is um, do what I can on a regular basis so that when I'm at the end of the day, I, I feel good about what I did that day. And, and I, I really like thinking about the future as in like mentally picturing myself at age 60, 70, 80 and thinking back and thinking like, okay, well, what kind of impact did I make or what kind of impact did I not make? Like with the whole aim to be a zero. So yeah, I really see myself as just trying to, trying to live in an ethical lifestyle and without um, causing harm. And, and I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's basically it. And then trying to like get as much as I can out of the world without um, going overboard because I'm kind of against like this hyper consumerism and, and buying stuff you don't need. And so I've always been more of an experienced person. I've always been more of a, um, I'll help out when I can kind of person and trying to think of the consequences of my actions being uh, in the context of what I buy and what, where I spend my time and what kind of things I consume and, and what kind of message I'm putting to other people as well. So I think it's kind of manifested itself in some ways with like, I, uh, I probably will never own a detached home. So I, I live in a condo right now and I drive an old car and I was going to buy an electric car. And uh, something that I've changed, that's kind of a big change since I left the US is I've, I'm fully vegan now. So I don't eat any meat, any dairy, animal products. And on the same respect, I, I try to, I avoid like fur and uh, leather and that kind of stuff. And and that really, actually, that was one of the really big things because that is one of those things where it checks off all these boxes where it's it's more ethical, it has less impact on the environment, and it's actually, a lot of the times it's cheaper and it's healthier. So like I feel better in almost every way, like financially with health-wise and ethics. And that kind of fits into my identity of living a low-impact lifestyle in an ethical way. Okay. Yeah, and then like uh been trying to, again with the car like we're trying to buy or drive less so like i got a bit of a better bike that i've been trying to commute with when it's you know reasonable and not super cold and raining <laughs> yeah and next year i want to get an e-bike and so then i don't really have an excuse i have less of an, ex of an excuse to drive mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah, low impact lifestyle try to live ethically without like compromising too much because mm -hmm. um, I still want to like experience and enjoy life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think that's pretty good. I like, and mm -hmm. what's interesting since we both have that engineering background and being in construction and things like that, has it at any point, has it been challenging to operate in an ethical standpoint, like regardless of how people want to do business or how people around you want to carry themselves or the standards they want to hold you to? Um, there's always a little bit of pressure to like, not really as in an at work ethics kind of thing. Well, there, it's been a little bit of that where, well, maybe not really, actually. It's pretty, it's been pretty good for me to live ethically at work besides battling with the whole, it's not in, in oil anymore, but like when it was doing oil and gas, it's kind of like, oh, I'm kind of contributing to the problem greenhouse gas wise. But you know, aside from that, though, there's always a bit of pressure, especially with like the vegan thing. People always question it and always push back on it. And even with the car, like uh, when I was thinking about the new car, a lot of people, like I've talked about it to everybody, like at work and friends and family and such. And a lot of people were 
like, oh yeah, you should definitely buy the new car and like forget be- driving around the old beater that even though it's, well, it's probably better to just drive your old car longer than just to buy a new car, even if it is electric. And so some people, when I was, when I mentioned like, yeah, I decided to just repair my old car, like they were really disappointed. And then they find out later that's because, oh, cause they just bought a new car recently. So it's, it's that subtle, like uh, you, your own actions make people think about their actions. So if you do the more ethical thing, that's subtly implying that they are being unethical or they're doing something wrong, because um, which isn't always the intention. It's just human nature. Right. I wouldn't have thought of that, of that like that. But that, mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's almost like people, ju- they're judging themselves based on your actions and based on how they were expecting you to act in like, oh yeah, hey, come join the club. Like, we're all in the new car club. We're driving the same thing. We're like going to dinner. We're we're out here. We're we're all out for some reason. I'm doing this, and I'm imagining like the the ladies in the neighborhood just all taking a stroll together, kind of watch what wearing the mm-hmm. shape ups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, that that sort of group think and uh, what was it? It's like it's if everybody does it, it's kind of like not. It's what is the word like? It's, it's okay if something's, if they do something wrong, it's okay if everybody's doing it. Mm. I don't know if you saw a tail go by. <laughs> Cat in here. Pets are welcome. Yeah. 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 Like the, the group think and kind of stepping outside a lot of the societal norms that I disagree with mm. has, has been a bit of a struggle, but uh, not really. It's because when you, when you when you're convinced that what you're doing is the right thing, then it's, it's pretty easy to continue doing it regardless mm-hmm. of what other people think. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I like talking about so one of my coworkers, he, his commute is about 15 minutes longer than mine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he drives to like a, a Toyota Tacoma. So he's driving this big gas guzzling truck. And then we've gotten into conversations where, where it's not only like better, I talk about environmental impact because I'm, I'm driving a, a smaller car and biking some of the time, but also financially, where um, so around the time when I was reading the four four hour work week, I was reading a lot of other financial type books and how to get ahead financially, and a lot of the frugality type books. And one of the big ones that most book, these books talk about is getting your the big three expenses down: so housing, food, and transportation. So I'm talking to him like, yeah, because we were talking about investing and such. I'm like, yeah, if you can get your expenses down, um, like getting a smaller car. He's like, well, I just bought a brand new Toyota Tacoma with like, he puts like hundred dollars in gas in every two weeks. And yeah, he just, that's, it's like the exact opposite of what you should do. I feel like like my heart just skipped when you said he puts a hundred dollars of gas into his cart every week. I'm like, oh, every two weeks, every two weeks, that's still a lot. Yeah. 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 For me to fill up my little Honda Accord, the, the top of the tank is about $80, but that gets me about a month. But yeah, wow. these big trucks that have like hundred liters of hundred liter tanks, which is like divided by three, that's like 35 gallons. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty pricey. Well, they say that a lot of car ownership too, if you include insurance, maintenance and fuel, it's usually around, and I think it's like 50 cents a mile or something like that, mm-hmm. like 40 or 50 cents a mile in actual realized costs. Wow. It, I guess it, for me, it, one thing that's interesting and I, and I've always kind of, I thought about it 
in a sense with the four hour work week and wanting to do better investing. And sometimes I think it's like, how much of it is it like, I'm, I'm trying to be efficient. I'm trying to be frugal. I'm trying to have less of an impact so that the people around me can also benefit. But like, at what point do I, like you, you mentioned before, at, at what point is it start to become a little bit too much to where the experience starts to wane a little bit to where now I'm thinking, okay, I'm not, I'm wanting to save so much that I'm overworking myself and I'm not taking a vacation to go. Like we went to, um, where's Lincoln's hometown and kind of just on the weekends, like, Hey, yeah, Springfield. Like we were like, Hey, let's, we're on this program. We're here for six months. Like let's take advantage of every weekend. We know exactly the amount of time we're here in the Chicago area. Like let's go into the city Let's go to Springfield. I think I went with one other guy up to like the Wisconsin area where they had the medieval times and went to the Six Flags thing. And even that time, that was the maybe the last time that I had the experience of waiting in line. And when we talk about like time is money and you sit there like I waited in a roller coaster ride line for an hour to two hours when if I would have paid an extra 20 $30, I would have saved two hours of my time. And it's like, oh, okay, there's there's that fine line where it's like, am I going to drive across town to save three cents or am I going to get the gas that I need in this car here so that in the time that I'm driving there, I spent more than double the gas that I'm going to use to fill up to get me back and spend that gas again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge thing that I've been, I don't want to say struggling with, but trying to keep at the front of my mind it because i've noticed that myself where you read enough of these books and they're all telling you like yeah don't spend any money ever and um save everything and invest everything and it's like well then you're not really living um i remember this uh kind of analogy where like there's a a family playing monopoly and then you know the game progresses and eventually like the little kid wins and he's super excited because he's like he's got all the money he's got everything He's like, okay, well, now it goes back in the box. And the kid's like, what do you mean it goes back in the box? But I, I, it's all my stuff. It's what I've collected. It has, what do you mean it has to go back in? I don't want it to go back in. So the obviously the parallel is that you can, you can be frugal your whole life and you can amass a, a, a fortune and such, but you're going to die eventually. So you might as well use it and experience things while you can. And the struggle is that balance. It's, just, it's that like how much... Do you spend now to have better experiences now versus saving and having maybe an easier life when you're older? And and I've definitely noticed times when I've swung way too much towards the saving too much way, especially when we're in like towns where we know where they're temporary. Yeah. So like in like I lived in New York for a year and a half and I did my best to get as much as I could out of New York. But there was definitely times where I'm like, didn't do things because I thought they were too expensive. And now I kind of regret not doing those things. So that's the danger with like a lot of this, those financial self-help type books is that it just, it influences your behavior a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it just got to find that compromise of living in the moment while and enjoying the moment while also kind of preparing for the future. Right. What, what's funny is that as you mentioned that, and just having this conversation, it it's, you get, like almost some regrets that you you get to have now looking back almost kind of prep you to say okay 
whatever the opportunity is today, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it. Because I, I remember, I think it was the first time I've ever been to New York when I came to visit you and you were there. And we were like, I was like, is it worth it? Because I just happened to be in Washington, D.C. for a weekend. And I was like, okay, I'm here. There's an event here. But I know Brendan's up there. And I just flew in. I'm using Uber to get around. But I can just as easily go over to the, um, I forget what the train station's called. But I was like, if I go to the train station, I can get there. Again, with that money analogy, it's like, if I get on the train station, I can get there quicker or maybe quicker by an hour, pay a little bit more than getting on the shuttle bus, have to drive on that, maybe be uncomfortable. And actually, I think I might have taken the bus instead of the train. But either way, it's like just mm -hmm. making the decision to go there, visit with you. I think we maybe walked around like you took me by Times Square. We stopped into a pizza place mm -hmm. and like yeah. just doing like a quick little tour was like, I could have almost never stepped into New York for the first time if I didn't decide for a weekend from like early that morning, I'm just going to make it a whole trip getting to New York and getting back. Like I got my feet into New York City, mm -hmm. came back to D.C., explored D.C. to the best of my ability, went down to the malls. And even like walking around, going places when I didn't feel like it to where other times it's like, OK, I've done a lot. I went on a trip each quarter and I just want to relax this weekend. If I go and visit, it's like, okay, we let's go to one place to get out of the house, to stretch, to make sure we do something that I could normally do if I was at home. Like if I travel all the way to another country, all the way to another city, and I just get on my phone, watch YouTube videos, watch Instagram, watch Facebook. It's like you're kind of being insensitive. You could have done that while you were there and you could have just not shown up. But if you're here, be present, like take advantage of a little bit. You don't have to rent out a yacht or like go on a helicopter ride unless that's what you plan for. But like if you're there, like try to enjoy something, eat something local and just just kind of rem remembering that I'm like, hey, like I don't know if I would have gone to Springfield any other time just to be like, hey, exactly. Yeah. We not only went there and then I think we stopped somewhere else kind of just walking through and you see like the waterfall and like years yeah. later, you look back and you're like, that was worth it. Like even like having a year of shutdown and be like, you know, once things kind of open back up, I'm going to explore my backyard. I'm going to see what's close. Like I'm literally going to go walk into my backyard and see if there's anything there. And then I'll go mm -hmm. around town in my like technical backyard, go to the lake. Like, wow, okay, I've got elevation here. Spent about two years in the Midwest. It's like, it was pretty flat. And then mm -hmm. come back home like, we got some good things here. It's not so bad. Like I've been other places. I've seen tumbleweeds with my bare eyes and this is nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the big thing too that you mentioned where, because I think um, if you're sitting at home and you're watching Netflix, um, especially like, I think we, everybody realized this during all the COVID lockdowns. It's like that year just, it was a blink of the eye. It's like, what happened to that time? But even little trips like out to Springfield, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's very memorable. It's just kind of, you just had, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely worth, even though like um, from a financial perspective, perspective it's like okay i could stay stay home and spend zero dollars i could spend like a hundred well we did it in a day trip but like you do like a hundred dollars in a hotel it's like that's a hundred dollars i could save in my pocket 
And then down the road, it'll be $400 if I invest properly. And But you, you're cutting yourself short. Um, I heard another thing too, where if you do the same thing all the time, like the way you perceive time is you perceive time slower if you're doing new things or going to new places. So if you want a longer life, like a virtual longer life, do a lot of new things and do a lot of different things. Yeah. Otherwise, like, I think that's part of the reason that as people get older, um, time seems to accelerate and it partly because you do less things and there's less new experiences when you're older. So I don't know, that's something I think in the last couple of years, um, I've kind of had been lacking is new experiences. Uh, but that's something that, and again, like if I move to a new city in the near future, that would really help with that. And when you, when you mentioned like having new experiences, like I'm going to go, uh, to something new next weekend. Have you ever heard of like the, a tiny house? Almost like you, you go into the, you go away from the city and, and they have like a storage unit set up as a tiny house where it's got a bed, kitchen, bathroom, all there. And the concept is to kind of unplug from life, lock your phone up for the weekend and kind of just enjoy nature and things of that sort. And one of the things I was thinking about is like, maybe I could bring a hammock that I got and I almost never used and a mm. bike that I got that when I was in college, I remember it's like, you're going to spend $300 on a bike. And I think maybe I could have spent a lot more than that, like maybe a grand or somewhere mm -hmm. around there. And I was like, I look back at it and I'm like, is it really worth it? But then I, I'm thinking like this, this past week, my, my ankle has been giving me trouble and just to maintain exercise, building that routine, which kind of makes time go by really quick. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I want to get my routine in, get 8,000, 10,000 steps, maybe I should use my bike and use it as a way to exercise. It'd be less pressure on my feet. It gives me a chance to stretch properly and to kind of build, build my legs up a little bit. Like I haven't been able to work out like I was before at least once a week with a trainer for the last two or three months. But I was like, I can do workouts on my own. And I can make this into an activity if like, if I don't ride the same park, I know a few places like up in Chattanooga, that's 30, 40 minutes from me where you can go there. They have different types of trails. I've only been trail riding one time. And that was part of the reason why I got the bike, because you always see people do these things. And I was like, it's not terrible that I got something and I haven't used it and wanting to have like that minimalist mindset where it's everything that I own, I wanted to have some kind of function, but I was like, okay, maybe I'm not using this right now, but here's an opportunity for me to use it. So I took it out, dusted it off, tried to pedal up the hill. And I was like, yeah, this tire is super flat. I've got a bunch of podcasts I need to record today. So let me not set myself up for failure. I put it on the mm -hmm. car, drove up to a bike shop and I, I looked up and I tried to be really intentional about making sure it was a bicycle shop, not a bike like biker shop that's motorized and everything. Cause I was like, that's not going to be able to help me. But I drove up there, mm -hmm. recorded a podcast before I went in. And then when I, I, when I, pulled up, I was like, I think I got it wrong because I see three bikers. They've got their bikes parked in the parking lot. And I was like, it's an apparel shop. So I go in, I ask the people um, if I could just where they know I can get some air in my tires. And they're like, oh yeah, there's a Walmart over there with the gas station and you can do that. And I was like, you know what? Thank you. Like use the restroom. I was like, thanks for the hospitality. 
I do a podcast, would like to talk to you. I know we're just meeting randomly, but <laughs> it's what I do. I like to yeah. just meet everyday people, get a chance to know them, give them a minute. And I was like, maybe they'll call, maybe they won't, maybe they'll email, maybe they won't. But like, I appreciated being able to make that mistake of going to a, a bike shop instead of a bicycle shop. And I went there like $2, put air in my um, bicycle tires as well as my car tires. And I was like, I learned something. It was a different part of Chattanooga I'd never been to. And just it being like an easy Sunday, I was like, it's cool. Like I'm get, I'm going to start my week right, got some coffee up. I'm going to stay up till like four in the morning to reset my schedule to work the night shift this week. But I was like, you know what? Like there's some mundane things that make it go well. But to your point, doing something very different from waking up, I did something routine, but then I did something off routine. And like mm -hmm. the time kind of like sped up, slowed down, sped up, slowed down, almost like an accordion. I'm like, wow, I really had a full day today. And I, I enjoyed most of it that it's conversations like this that help me put things into perspectives. And I'm like, man, that's why I like talking to Brendan. Mm, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I've, I've had too many days where it's like, we'll wake up and it's next thing, you know, it's three o'clock and it's like, well, what the hell happened? And it's just cause I was, you know, I don't know, watching TV or something or just the same thing, get up, make coffee, make some breakfast and didn't really do anything different. But, uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that like with the new bike that you want it to be super functional. And that's one of the things that I was, because I was thinking about buying an e-bike to commute on. And I'm like, well, how am I going to justify spending a few thousand dollars on an e-bike? And uh, the way I'm going to justify it is because um, when I've been commuting on my regular bike, it's like such a, because it's different and it's it's such a nice experience in the mornings, especially because you're kind of groggy and tired. It's hard to get up, but then like you're on the bike in the morning and you're, I'm biking through like uh, along the bike path down through like little wetlands and little forested areas and such. And it's so much nicer than just sitting in a car. And it makes the day uh, it, when I finally get to work, it's like, wow, I've already done. I've already been on my bike for like nearly an hour today. And it feels so much better. Um, and then the main thing that holds me back from biking so much is, well, especially now it's getting cold and if it's getting raining and sometimes they just don't want because I got to get up like. 45 minutes earlier, maybe not, maybe not quite that long, but um, it's hard to justify, especially when you're asleep is to get up and actually get the motivation to do that. But uh, yeah, if I can do that every day on an e-bike, I'll get that, uh, I'll be able to get there quicker. So I want to wake up as early and it'll be less effort. So it'll, physically I'll be able to do it a little easier. Right. And so I'll have this multi-benefit of saving money on vehicle costs and also probably making myself more productive at work as well. Yeah, because I'm a little more refreshed when I get there. You didn't work so hard pedaling to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, like uh, tiny homes. Um, for a while, I was very briefly looking into like buying or making my own because I thought they were cool. But I think they're, I still think they're cool. Mm -hmm. um, but just there's a to full time live in one, maybe not because there's a lot of like regulations, especially where I live now, where like. You're, and in Canada in general, like your house has to be a certain size and it has to be permanently connected to city services and it makes it difficult for people to build tiny homes in cities. So kind of as a compromise, living in an apartment 
where it's like a, a lot of little tiny homes all stacked on top of each other. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. And I, I think like you were mentioning like the big three before for your expenses, your housing, vehicle and food costs. And that's kind of that debate where it's like, do you buy your own home or do you rent? And it's mm-hmm. like, where's the, where's the opportunity cost? Like, where's it going? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's interesting things to mess with. But sometimes like after you get done thinking so much, it it's not bad to be able to veg out a little bit, watch something for an hour. Like you justify it maybe by putting time limits on it. And then you go back to the discipline of, okay, I'm going to eat right. Or I'm going to pig out today because, hey, I, I ate clean for like so many days and I, I really like the taste of this and I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to be here suffering and be like, oh, like every time I touch the donut, I'm going to zap myself and be like, oh, you like that. It's like from uh, the Ben Stiller thing, either from Dodgeball. And then I think he played in another thing. It was like a fat camp thing. That image always plays through my head. And it's just like hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's um, it's very important to be able to just relax at the end of the day because I don't know, as I'm getting a little older now, I, I definitely find that I start to get like, if I haven't had any time to just sit around and do nothing or like do things that I want to do, I, I start to get really irritable. Mm. And it's just like, it's, it's very important to, to have that relaxation time and not be, and uh, because it got to a point too, I noticed this, especially in school when, you know, you're studying like almost all day, every day. And if you take some, a break and you go, I don't know, you play a, a board game or a video game or something or watch some TV for like a couple hours. You're like, man, I should be, feel like I should be doing something right now. And I think that's not very healthy either because mm. you don't need to be productive all the time. Like it's, you have to have long-term goals and you have to have discipline to work on your, your stuff every day. But um, it's, that's the other toxic thing I've noticed from the self-help world is that, uh, it kind of guilts you into thinking, yeah, you always need to be productive. And like the time is money thing. It's like, it's sometimes there's more important things than, you know, like working on your business or whatever. And you need to just sort of, you'll be more productive when you do work on it. If you have those scheduled downtimes. It's like you, you're setting yourself up for success, no matter how you define it, but you, you like put limits on things. Like for me, making this, this podcast thing was, I felt like it was the first way in a long time to make like to have something in which I could create and have it be long term because I'm like if I'm working as an engineer I can still podcast if I'm not working in engineering or if I'm not working like a full-time job I can still do this if I do a lot in a moment of time I can just stop doing it for a while and use what I did before and there isn't that constant pressure of like, it's got to be perfect, 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 like cross all the T's, dot all the I's and all this. And it's like, I could criticize it at the end of the day until like all my hair falls out. <laughs> but in all honesty, it's like being able to have something that I can be proud of, but more importantly, in just having a conversation with like yourself, people that I actually want to talk to and like there's a fair exchange of we're talking about things that we enjoy and hopefully each person gains something from the conversation. And then if somebody mm-hmm. listens to it, they also gain something. So it's like, hey, like it's not a complete waste of time. And even in those times when it's like, 
I really don't want to do this. Like being able to look back and be like, hey, I got up, I did it. Something that I wasn't expecting came out of this and I was better for it. It's like, okay, like maybe I'll do it again. Like, I mm. like that feeling I got. Maybe it won't be the exact same feeling, but I know that I. it's like going back to that thing. It's like, I, I want this versus not having it. So it's like, if I do a little bit of this, I get a little bit of that. If I don't do it, I don't get anything. So nothing changes. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so satisfying to just hit like publish and see something go up and it's public there. And you kind of take a step back and look at it. Yeah. And just seeing everything that you put on there too. Like uh, when I was in Plainfield, actually, like I started a blog and uh, I've kind of waned on updating it now. It was like a finance blog. And part, and if I had noticed really early on that, like, well, I noticed a few, I don't know, it's a lot of things. Um, but I noticed that I was getting way more out of it than I thought I would because actually articulating your ideas and writing them down and trying to make it in a presentable way that someone would actually want to read about it was is not that it was difficult is that it was um i had a lot more nuanced than i thought it would be because you always think you know something but you don't realize how much you know about it until you try to teach it to somebody else so i learned a lot through just writing these articles and really solidified my own ideas and and it's just a good outlet because i think everybody needs some kind of creative outlet and so it it really helped scratch that creative itch and a bit of that itch of like oh, I should be doing something right now. And instead of just, you know, sitting around and doing whatever. And it's, and it's a lot of work when you're doing it, but when you yeah. can put it on that shelf and look at the whole shelf and say like, man, look at all these, I've written like 50 articles or whatever. And like, you never would think that you would have written that many when you're first getting started. But it's, it's that, there's, a, there's that quote, um, people always overestimate what they can do in a day, but underestimate what they can do in a year. Mm. Um, so you think you can always cram everything into a single day, but if you just do a little bit every day, it's like at the end of the year, you have so much. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I heard someone say it today where they're like, if you're writing a, a blog post, we were talking about how you can, um, how you can write something and also record it and speak it like record it to where someone can listen to it instead of having to read what you wrote. And it's like, now it's in multiple forms. And then if you translate that into an ebook, then they can have it and that ebook can become a hard copy. So it's like by taking it all the way to, okay, I'm going to write a blog post, but I don't need to make it a five page thing. Maybe for one hour a day, I just write a paragraph and it's like, you write a paragraph one day a week or one hour a day, one day a week. It's like, if it's even that small, just one time, that's 52 paragraphs that you've written. Or if you want to add more days, like it just, it's like that compounding interest almost where things stack on top of each other. And I, I remember with your blog post, I think you were the one that introduced me to Mr. Money Mustache. And he was the one that yeah. was making the correlations to like, here are things to consider for like buying a car. You might not, like you can get that, but here's something to consider. It's like, you can get the same amount of space, especially for someone tall from these types of cars, because, hey, we went and we sat in these cars, kind of did the consumer report of, here's what we found. Here are our reviews, our yellow page feedback. And that way it's like, 
don't be afraid to get outside of the group think and try something different. It might look uncommon. You might be wearing something that's off brand, but like if your clothes fit, if you look, if you like how they look on you, like wear it, just be happy. And like all of a sudden people are like, oh wow, what's that new thing? You stand out because you didn't try to fit in. And it's like, you weren't trying so hard to stand out, but you're like, I'm just going to be myself and come what may go with it. Some people might give you a little bit of pushback. Other people would be like, huh, maybe I can do my own thing too. And we don't have to look just like a maze of gray where nothing, <laughs> nothing mm-hmm. looks good. But like, yeah, the, the one thing about like the standing out, I heard someone tell a story where they were like, as a way, like for zebras, it's a great thing to be able to blend in because as they're just passing through. And if a lion's sitting there trying to hunt, you get lost in the pack and you don't have to stand out. But these guys, um, I forget what they call them, uh, people that study animals, they they were trying to track a specific zebra to do studies on it or whatnot. So they put like a red dot on its back. And as soon as they did that, that one got gobbled up because it's like, oh yeah, there's something I can find right there. Got you. And then it was gone. It's like, well, no experiment. Yeah. Poor zebra. (laughs) Yeah. Sentence him to death. He's like, I was just over here blending in. Why'd you do that to me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I suppose like an ear tag or something would be Nikki stand out quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, I think it's like within our culture, like a lot of people stand out and, uh, but the same, I remember once, and where was it? Um, is it a city somewhere or just where I thought it was really funny where like everyone was wearing this clothes, these clothes that were a bit off. It was a music festival. That's what it was. Yeah. Where everyone, it, like if you saw these people on the street, you'd be like, oh yeah, these, they really stand out. But like when everybody's wearing that, it's like, you all look the same or you're all kind of blending in with each other in this other scenario. And it kind of made it, because when you see that person for the first time, you're like, oh, that's an interesting way of dressing. But then when you see it for the 10th time in the place, you're like, okay, you're just like everybody else. And then oh, I'm the one who stands out because I'm wearing relatively normal clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, man. So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious. I think we maybe talked about it a little bit before. What What's um, 2021 been like for you? It's been all right. Like, uh Let's see. Big things that happened this year. Uh, I'm still in the same job. That hasn't really changed. Uh, but I assume you like. I don't know what it's like where you are, but in Canada, I think all over the world, like housing is a disaster right now. Like uh, valuations on homes are going way out of control, and people like half my friends here that were renting, including myself, got kicked out because their landlord was selling the house to take advantage of the high prices. So I, so I bought a, a condo, the condo I'm in now I've actually bought and it's been really, really refreshing to not, to have that one less stressor in my life of not worrying about a landlord and if I'm going to get kicked out or anything like that. So that was probably the big purchase I made. And then uh, like the car broke down, but I repaired it. So that was all good. And I don't know, like it's, there, there's been a, like on the topic of doing new things, uh, there's been a few new things that I've tried. Uh, not as probably as much as I should have, but, uh, so I went jet skiing for the first time. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I live like in one of the warmest places in Canada, right next to a big lake. Mm -hmm. And so my, 
sister's husband was really into it and the two of them came out to visit and he wanted to go jet skiing so i gave that a go and it was actually quite fun nice but it's one of those things where it's like it's fun to do a couple of times but well on, on the jet skis that i was on you could basically go really fast or you can spin in a circle and that's basically all you can do so after you've done that for two hours straight it's like okay well i think i've had my fun let's move on to something else yeah it's like well that that was a nice experience but this isn't going to be become a hobby yeah exactly yeah i think the people who own jet skis are like i don't know like they have a boat already so it's okay yeah. well if i take friends out on a boat let's have a jet ski so we have something to do when we're out there right yeah. it might be thrill seekers too like hey let me let me see how how quick i can run this thing or i don't yeah. know one thing that I, I saw recently i was like i wonder what it would be like to surf but like seeing people that the big thing seems that they always go after the, the wave and like just riding the wave and being able to go with it. It's it's interesting. I'm like, what what is that feeling like? Is it like you're staring fear in the face and like, do I go under? Or do I come back mm -hmm. up? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've tried surfing a, a few times because I used to live in Australia and yeah, it's almost addictive because because it's like rolling the dice you're always looking for that really good wave so you're constantly like okay that one's no good okay that one's no good okay this one looks good and you go for it and like well actually it wasn't good because i don't have that because when you're sitting uh on your surfboard you it's hard to judge how big the waves actually are so you it's, it's partially me being like a total novice to surfing it's like it's very much a like guessing and rolling the dice as so sometimes you're like you're going for the wave and then it just fizzles out as soon as you get even anywhere close to getting up on your surfboard but when you actually stand on it and you're getting pushed along that's a very good feeling nice yeah uh well, the last new thing that i tried uh, was last weekend i went on a, a mushroom hunting course where they to find like wild edible mushrooms mm. So like I live in British Columbia where there's a lot of forests around my place here. So we went up to a kind of a remote spot and the guy took us around and showed us all these different types of mushrooms because the fall is like the mush the main mushroom season in the year. So uh, still haven't eaten any that we found because <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. I was like, did you eat it? Did was it an interesting experience or was it one of those is just wild mushrooms that you eat and they don't have like any psychedelic effects or anything like that. Um, actually yesterday I found one that has psychedelic effects. It's called the Anamita muscaria. I heard a lot about it. that. Yeah. <laughs> but they say you shouldn't even bother trying it because there's two compounds in it that both have psychoactive effects, but they're slightly different. One though, it has a psychoactive effects, but it also comes with like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea and potentially seizures and such too so they really recommend you just don't even bother with it yeah uh, but i guess you can boil them that's a that's a pretty uh what did you say like with the medicine bottles with the side effects on it, it's like side effects that's yeah. one of those i don't i don't think it's worth rolling the dice to be like i might trip i might be uh seeing stars or just vomiting myself or just be <laughs> hugging the toilet for the rest of the day it's like do I really want to chance it? Maybe not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, there are quite a few, there's a, there's like the poisonous mushrooms. There's, there's a range. So there's the poisonous mushrooms that will kill you. Like they um, will literally destroy your liver or kidneys. And the only way to survive is with an organ transplant. 
So it's very important to kind of know which ones those are. And then the next level up from that is the ones that are poisonous that won't kill you, but will give you a, a bad day. Like you're next to the toilet for the next 12 hours. Right. And so those ones are like, you could probably, if it looks like a tasty one, you could probably roll the dice and you won't have a good time, but you'll survive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's the ones that are edible, but kind of bland. They don't really yeah. taste like anything. Right. Um, I had, I actually tried one of those quite a while ago. And yeah, it just didn't really taste like, it tasted like eating dirt. It just mm. wasn't very good. And then there's the choice edibles, uh, like uh, lobster mushrooms, chanterelles, morel mushrooms. Oh, that sounds fancy. Um, pine mushrooms. Yeah. And all these ones that you can't really buy or they, that they can't farm, more mm-hmm. importantly. Um, so all the ones that you buy are wild found. Gotcha. And so that's what I'm really after with this. And I guess the, the other level there is the psychoactive psilocybin mushrooms, which mm-hmm. um, are really rare to find in the wild. So I haven't really, like I'm kind of always on the eye out for those, but I don't really expect to find them. I'm looking more so looking for the really tasty ones that gotcha. are uh, easy to identify. But so it's one of those things where, or sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go. I, I was just going to say, like going out on the tour, like mushroom picking, like we're like, did this guy know a lot about this, like the mushrooms and the stuff like this? He was giving you guys some of this information. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very experienced and uh, brought us to a farm and told us things to look for mm. and really kind of, was kind of a mentor. So we, I have like a mushroom book for identifying these mushrooms and kind of guided us along and says like, okay, this is things you should watch out for. This is one of the big things I got from him actually was uh, even though you were looking for mushrooms, it's actually more important to look for trees to be able mm. to identify different trees because certain mushrooms like certain trees. Mm. For example, you can find wild oyster mushrooms, but they only grow on dead, like uh, cottonwood trees or like poplar trees. Huh. So being able to identify that type of tree and then find a dead one, that's where you need to look for that kind of mushroom. And there's certain mushrooms too, where if they, um, if they're growing on certain types of trees, they're fine. But if they're growing on other types, they can be poisonous or like lightly poisonous. So it's like half of it is figuring out which trees are around, but it's, it's one of those things too, where last year, actually we, we've been doing a bit of bird watching. So I bought like bought some binoculars and then we just go into the woods and look for birds, but that and mushroom hunting, it's one of those things where even if I don't see any birds and don't find any mushrooms, I still got to go on a nice hike through the woods. And it's very refreshing in that respect. I like that. It's like some activities that it doesn't always need to have like a aha payoff or something. It's just like, Hey, mm-hmm. it, it's a time you get to spend. And it's interesting because seeing something like that, it reminds me of certain conversations where when you talk about getting older or, or you see older people doing certain activities where it may seem like, like wasting time or you're not doing this or you could be doing that. It's like, there's a multitude of reasons why they could, could be doing that, for instance. But I, I remember, I don't know if you met him or if you remember him. We worked together in the um, CCT um, mm-hmm. department for the corporate construction. And we were talking about what would you do? What would you like to do when you retire? As like an, as an old man, what, what would you like to do? And one of the things that Chris said, he, he said that um, he would be a 
bellhop, like working in a, a big city and greeting people as they came in because it, it would kind of give them a chance to see different people, greet them, kind of impact different people's lives to just like give them a smile, see how they're doing and, th and things of that sort. And it was like, wow, that, that's interesting. Like you don't recognize like if it's impact that you want to have or just like things you could see through a different lens being around people or just being in a, a position where some people may think it's lower or it's not like as you're the owner of the hotel or you're making this much, you've got revenue because of so many doors, this, that, and the other. But it's like, that's a, it's a different sense of value. Like one may not be better than the other, but I, I just never heard of that from someone before, especially like in an engineering space where that's something you could look forward to just as an older man. It's not, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life once I retire, but it's just going to be something that I think I might get some enjoyment out of that. I, I found that interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it, it goes into that. What would you do if money were no object? And because when he's retired, he's probably, yeah, doesn't need a job. For the money so you want a job where you get those experiences yeah and you can interact with people and such that's really interesting yeah because i think well it's like people who win the lottery they uh doesn't make them any happier to having all the money in the world so like people get probably a lot more fulfillment out of a job like that where you can you know interact and meet interesting people as opposed to just you know sitting on your backyard and drinking all day <laughs> what's funny is that almost bringing it back to the four hour work week, it seemed like a big theme of that was retiring early. Or I think it may be put a balance to where it's like, do your best to enjoy your young years to where you don't just work so hard and then you're old and you can't enjoy the activities that you wanted to do while your body was still there. And now you're just using all your money to pay to keep you alive or to keep you going. But um, I forgot where I was going with that for a minute. I'm going to remember. Remind me what you what you just said. <laughs> what did I just say? Uh, oh, yeah, like how you um, just because you have all the money in the world doesn't mean that's going to fulfill you, mm, right? And that you should, especially in old age. Yeah. So, like the the like to that point, I was just thinking the way I look at retirement is a little bit different. Like from watching my parents, watching my mom work for almost 40 years of her life. And it was like retiring a lot of times doesn't mean you have to quit working altogether because it's like even for six months or say if I, I had like six months where I, I wasn't having to go into the office constantly and I could literally just sit in my bed, watch YouTube, chill out, have a tub of ice cream next to me, do that. Like after about a week or two, that got very frustrating. And I'd, I'd heard like uh, a Canadian psychologist, Jordan, Jordan B. Peterson say mm -hmm. this is like, if you get yourself in that utopia state where someone's sitting there just constantly feeding you grapes, you're going to smack the grapes out of their hands and be like, get those damn grapes out of my face. And you're going to want to create some kind of chaos to like make things more interesting and I, I just found it interesting where it gave me a different perspective on people that are older and have to go back to work versus being older and doing like a bellhop job where it's you have a chance to do something that fills your time of day. Because like, say you go and you feed the birds for four hours and you're like, 
okay, what now? Okay, I'll go mm-hmm. play a round of golf for two hours. It's like still got 16 hours of my day to feel like, what else am I going to do? I'm going to sleep for, for eight, eight hours. And it's like, okay, I visited the grandkids. I went, shook the hands, kissed the babies. Now what? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go skydiving today. And it's like, what else? It's like, oh, maybe I'll go work for 15 hours. And like now it's, I remember you see, one or two of the engineering guys that we had, they would come into the office and they work like maybe 14 hours a week, two or three days. And it's like, it's just something, maybe they're there because the wife divorced and took half of their money and now you got to build it back up. Or it's like, no, there's also that you got, um, you just have like that itch, the creative itch sometimes that you need to scratch where it's like, hey, I, I want to solve problems. I want to do something that gives me a little bit of meaning, something that lets me enjoy enjoy myself. Like, let me struggle a little bit. Let me see if I can figure out, get into an argument with the young kid that thinks he knows everything and be like, look here, kid. I, I've got underwear older than you. <laughs> yeah. Well, totally. Like, uh, on the, like with Mr. Money Mustache there, that kind of led me into the, the FIRE movement. I don't know if you've heard of that with the, it's an acronym. It stands for financial independence, retire early. Mm. And so there's like bloggers and YouTube people who are all like, they're like 30 or 35 and they've amassed enough money to retire through these like extreme frugality kind of things. But through reading the forums and all that kind of stuff, what I've noticed is that a lot of, including money, Mr. Money Mustache there, nobody really retires at 35 or 40. It's always just like, working a little less or working on your own personal projects. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I think that's what a lot of people kind of think about when they're older too, is, is that yeah. they, or when they have more money is that they don't need to do what they need to do to survive. It's to, uh, it's so they can do what they actually want to do. Right. And that, that makes sense. And the thing that's funny that I've found is that with, um, as a guy, it seems like you can go the frugal route up until you meet somebody and they're like, ah, uh, yeah, we're not going to be as frugal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you think uh, I'm going to live in a box or like, dude, I did the Airbnb thing for a while. And it's like, sometimes it's convenient, but other times it's like every Airbnb isn't exactly the same. And like hotels aren't necessarily going out of style because there's something to be said about like, a professional cleaning service, a standard that's kept up. Like you're not worrying about bed bugs or like, is this Mm. in some kind of backwoods somewhere? Like, where am I going? It's like, yeah, sometimes like I'll save a bit of money to where we can be good to where we can take the trips. And like, maybe we don't have to take a trip every single weekend, but at the bare minimum, if you got to drive out of town, go out of town like once a month, at least once a quarter, because it'd be terrible where I've talked to a lot of people or a couple of people that are in our position, we're like, you want to work as hard as you can, like work in your youth, retire early. But it's like, I haven't taken a vacation in two years and it's wearing on me. Like I I don't like what I'm doing. This thing that gave me joy, gave me pleasure. Like what's it, what am I doing it for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that, uh, well, I've seen that in my coworkers where like they were, they're barely struggling financially, but they're making good salaries, but it's because like they're, they have a wife and two kids and the wife is really, really spendy. 
like my one coworker, he uh, tells me about how, well, now ex-wife, but uh, at the time, it's just like she, it was, it was a new hobby every couple months. And so like, and she did it where it was, she got a new hobby and got all the stuff for the new hobby, dropped a couple thousand dollars. And then uh, like within a month, kind of lost interest in the hobby that you still have all the stuff. You can't just go return it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and then, yeah, finding a compatible person with that too is really difficult because yeah, a lot of people, especially with kids I've noticed too, it's like, um, like if you have kids and you, and they need something, you're not thinking about the, the money. It's just, okay, he needs this, let's get it. Or she needs this, let's get it. All right. Drop $1,200 on a stroller and uh, car seats and all that kind of stuff. And that means some of it, I, I know from my background, it's almost that feeling of, or it is the feeling of, I want to do better for my kids than my parents did for me. Or like, I want to give them a leg up. But sometimes I'm recognizing that there's nothing wrong with that, but it shouldn't be done to your detriment or it shouldn't be done to an insult to your parents to where it's like, oh, they didn't know any better. It's like, maybe they didn't. Or maybe like years down the line, once you realize you're like $40,000 in debt, or $230,000 in debt. And it's like, we have all this stuff, but we're not happy. Mm-hmm. I grew up and we were broke and we were plenty happy. Like we didn't know what poor meant until you got around other people that had money. And it's like, you know, maybe it's not all it's cut out to be, but mm-hmm. everybody's got a different experience. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I see my friends and coworkers who have kids now and when I visit their house, it's like they have 10 times more toys than I ever had. And it's because everybody's buying, I don't know if it's different now compared to when we were growing up, but it seems like now all the kids have way too many toys. Yeah. Or maybe it's because too, a lot of them are in younger families. So it's like the first child in the family. So all the extended relatives are all just. Yeah. Everyone's like, we got it. We got to get, but like, I've seen some people younger just do things like some people they're, they're doing things different and everyone's kind of getting an experience where it's like kind of trial and error, trial by fire, where one person, I remember I, I went to his daughter's, um, my, my buddy, Laurent, I went to his daughter's first birthday. And instead of like, Hey, come here and do this big thing. It's like, this kid's not going to remember it. And I think one of the things he was like, please, no gifts. If you, want to give a gift where we have like a college fund thing where it's a mm-hmm. uh, in the u.s i think there's there's a certain account you can set up for your children while they're young so you can put money away for college or i think in some cases you may be able to create a trust to where at a certain age they can get that money and if it's invested it works with the market and things like that and it's it was almost that like frugality of saying instead of putting money here or where people would like spend 10 20 30 grand for a wedding it's like no we're gonna do something small mm-hmm. and we're gonna invest into a home or into something that we can use for the rest of our lives like the pictures we'll maybe be able to look at but if we're in debt and now we're bickering at each other over the day that was supposed to be our big day it's like was it worth it like and and just getting like a little bit more of experience getting out of school getting into the real world a little bit like having to pay bills and things of that sort it's like maybe i don't need this as much as i thought i did and i, I don't know like it, everyone's got different values different principles and not trying to convince people in the way of 
what they should do or what they should have or not have, but I'm just learning to appreciate where I'm at, what I have and where I'm perhaps going just to be like, I don't have to look around as much as I thought I did before. Like just coming up through elementary school and thinking about what I didn't have, why I couldn't watch TV and everybody else could. And now it's like, hey, like I'm back to where I started. I don't watch TV by my own choosing. It's not a rule imposed on me, but I'm like, I can think a little bit better without having additional information into my head. And like you were saying earlier, being able to articulate your thoughts and try to teach, even have a conversation with somebody to see if I know as much as I think I know, or if it's maybe I watched something, they said something that agreed with me. And I was like, yeah, that kind of sounds right. I think I know it. And then you start to verbalize. It's like, I kind of think I look dumb right now. Maybe I should shut up for a minute and just be like, this isn't worth losing a friendship over. It's like, hey, let's agree to disagree. Let's go have fun. Like, enjoy our time here. And like, uh, tomorrow it's not going to matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it's funny where you mentioned, it reminded me, like growing up, we had basic cable and then one of my friends had like satellite. Mm-hmm. So whenever I went over there and it saw like, wow, you guys got like 80 channels. That's so cool. But now that it, like I've had that myself for, I don't have it now, but like even with Netflix, like, oh yeah, I'm like unlimited watching potential. Like, well, or, or then you realize too with the 80 channels, it's like, well, actually 40 of them are playing the same thing and it's just different networks and there's nothing good on anyway. And so like, I was always jealous of that growing up, but it's like, that wouldn't have even made me happier if I had had that. It, the basic cable was almost better because it's like when you get like, I don't remember how many channels we had, like five, 10. It's like, well, there's less selection and you get less stressed out because you check all the channels and nothing's on. Well, okay, well, you're stuck with this program you don't want to watch or go to something else. Yeah. Instead of scrolling through 80 channels. It's funny. Yeah. It's like the, the saying goes, less is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. Like instead of gifts, put it into a college fund. Um, Cause yeah, Canada has a program like that called the registered education savings program. So you can set one up for each of your children and then it's um, invested in something. And then in all the investment gains are tax-free as long as you use it for education. So especially for kids, like a one-year-old kid, like if, even if you give them like 50 bucks over the next 18 years it could realistically like go be like worth i don't know two three hundred dollars from like 50 so it makes and the kid doesn't not gonna care like if if you put it in your own investment account now you're gonna be thinking like well i could have spent that 50 bucks on i don't know a nice meal out or whatever but the kid's not gonna care the kid's not even gonna know so for every birthday they get like another collectively say like $500 in their account every birthday or, and that's going to compound to like 20 or $30,000 by the time they're looking for school. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I was thinking to myself, I've got two nephews and one niece and I was like, you know, I could start and put a dollar away for them a day for the year. It might not seem like much, but it'd be a lot. And I was like, instead of fin- feeding the vending machine every week, I could feed their accounts and then, of course, I, I decided to feed the vending machine because I, mm-hmm. I like chocolate and the things that are in the vending machine. So I was like, 
don't beat yourself too bad. Like maybe don't feed it as often. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, it's not a bad idea. And it's not something that has to be done right now. So instead of like obsessing over it or being upset with myself, I was like, it can still happen. And even if I was to do that for them, when I have kids in the future, I was like, I could also do that in the sense that if I have my financial house in order and making sure you put something bare minimum away and just do that, whether people are talking NFTs now, cryptocurrency, things of that sort, it's like kind of diversify your bag and still find a way to enjoy your family, enjoy your time, go enjoy the experiences. Don't be like, okay, like no candy for five months and all that candy money is mm. going to go over there. But it may not be a bad idea to stop eating all the candy out of the vending machines yeah, and put reasons. it away, put it away for a better cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, I've heard that like with, um, <clears throat> again, with the finance books, you know, the, uh, latte factor um that one guy i can't remember david bach was it anyway i've heard other people criticize that and say like if maybe not buy a five dollar latte every day but you know mm -hmm. like the occasional one or buying the candy from the vending machine like right if you really enjoy it and that's something you really like then you should probably do it mm -hmm. instead of constantly depriving yourself of things that you enjoy because in the grand scheme of things like Say you saved, say it was a latte two a week. So it's like $10 a week. So like what that, 40 bucks a month, but it it's it's 40 bucks a month and it adds up. So that's like over 400, uh, $480 a year. But uh, if you got even a small raise at work, like 1%, that's probably going to be 500 or $1,000. That's going to more than cover that thing that you really enjoy doing. So Again, back to the whole balancing investing versus you know, the finances that you actually like or the doing things that you actually like instead of always planning for the future. Yeah. And it, it's like when you, when you put it that way, I almost think about it. It's like, hey, if, if I do it twice a week, maybe for a short period of time, just do one a week. And then the other one that I would do, I put it over there. And something that I found, I was like, okay, instead of trying to put away a big chunk of money, something like Acorns that people came up with that app where it's like every time you swipe your card, it'll round up mm -hmm. and it'll, it'll save for you without forcing you to save. So it's mm -hmm. like unconsciously you're putting money away and it's like, okay, if I want to make it 10 bucks reoccurring. So I, I did that with my advisor where I was like, it might seem small now. But if I make $1,000 a month or say $1,600 a month versus like double that or more, having a different position, if I'm putting away just $100, $100 is more than zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, it might not be a lot. It might, I may want to do more, but just like a little bit is enough. And then just like, to your point, enjoy an activity and just be able to put your feet up and be like, you know, it's been a rough week, but hey, I can toast to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the books, one of the many books on finance that I've read is The Automatic Millionaire. Have you mm -hmm. heard about that one? No. Um, basically, uh, with the same thing, like when you swipe, it rounds up. It it talks, it, it, the guy wrote this book before those apps existed, but I'm sure if he were to write them now, he'd mention them, but it's just... Okay, when on payday, um, you get money deposited in your account, set up a recurring 
deposit that automatically takes whatever you want and puts it into your investments that are automatically invested. So like it's all on autopilot. And I really like, even though I don't do it, I really like the idea of doing that and getting it up to a point where you know that any money that's left over in your account after all those automatic things, bill payments, everything happens is money that you can spend however you want. It's right. like disposable money that you could just go buy a chocolate bar or a latte or whatever. Yeah. And it's almost like carefree because you know you mm -hmm. did what you were supposed to do ahead of time. So now that I'm going to spend what's here because that's what's here. Everything else is taken care of. So I don't have to worry about like, if I do this, it's not going to. And now that you mention it, I'm like, pay, payday was last week. So payday's coming up the week after this week. So it may not be a bad idea for me to say, instead of saying, oh, let me do 100 because it's a nice round number. Let me just go half of that and say 50. Like, you know, the rule where they say, give yourself three times or multiply by three, whatever, however long you think it's going to take for you to do something. So it's like, oh, hey, I'll be there in 15 minutes. It's like, it might be closer to 45 minutes. So tell them it'll take longer. That way, if you show up earlier, they're like, oh, wow, like you overachieve. Like, man, yeah. you, you're great. Like always on time. Rather than like, yeah. oh yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. It's like two hours later. Yeah, I'll be there in five <laughs> minutes. It's like, you're not coming, are you? No. Yeah, the under promise and over deliver. Yeah, that's something I've, I, I do that at work a lot too, where it's like, they ask for a, a programming change and it's like, okay, well, huh, that's probably going to take, I, I'll tell them like, oh yeah, it's going to take like a few days to do it. And you do it in a few hours and they're super happy. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I've never heard that that three uh, three times rule though. That's a good one. See, that's because I yeah because I do that. I always underestimate how long something will take. Yeah. So take it, that it, underestimate and just multiply it by three. One one of the guys told me that from college when we were working on our steel bridge team, and it reminds me of what you said earlier about the statement: we overestimate how much we can do in a day and overestimate what we can do in a year and it's like to bring it back to something that you use on a daily basis it's like he, he was telling me a good rule of thumb is to multiply by three hours or by three times how long you think this is going to take because the first time i did this in college you're basically building a steel bridge out of um square tubing like the the steel is a square i know that's not a perfect square but like it's, you can either use square tubing or round tubing and it's hollow on the inside, the out exterior steel. It's maybe like half an inch to like two millimeters thick. No, no, no. It's not half an inch. It's, it's way smaller. It's like an eighth of an inch thick, if that, and whatever that is in millimeters. But mm -hmm. you've got to um, build these members. It's a cantilever bridge, which is if you ever see something that's like this, you have mm -hmm. a post. I'm just doing this for the audience so they can follow. But if you have something that's hanging out right here where my arm is, this is the cantilever and this is the lever and this is like the, the counter. Maybe I'm explaining that wrong. But you're supposed to build a bridge like that and it has to be able to support a couple thousand pounds. Maybe I think it's a thousand to three thousand pounds like 
sitting on it, it has to be able to have that much weight pull against it. So they say like for lateral flexion, whenever you see something like the Golden Gate Bridge, it has to be able to move like high rise buildings. Everything has to be able to move and breathe because if it was just stiff, it would break. Like anything that's stiff is brittle. And it's funny how you can say that about being an engineer. They teach you how to be flexible. Like mm -hmm. if you're not flexible in life, it will break you. If you get too rigid, you're going to break. But anyways, we built this cantilever bridge and every member of the bridge, it's got to be able to come apart because part of the deal is that we, there's a competition to see how quickly you can build it. And mm. it's almost like estimating a construction job where they say the amount of time it takes you to build, you multiply that number by the amount of workers that you have. So you can use as few as three people or as many as six. So the quicker you do it, the more people you have, the more time goes to each person. And you have to be able to assemble each member, which has to fit in like a, I think is a three inch by six inch box. That's like four feet tall. So like a oh, box cool. of that dimension. And you've got to have the members go into like a trust, basically like, a, I'm pretty sure I'm making some inappropriate sign there, but it's supposed to be like a pyramid. That's a trust where some are facing up i'm making i'm gonna stop i'm making i'm making rectangles and i'm trying to draw triangles but they build this thing and where the comment came in was because we were basically building this bridge and we built it had it completely done everything fit in the box and all the day before the competition where we were supposed to go and compete against other schools in our our region in the southeast like you had clemson uh, north carolina state all those all those other schools and around the clock there were six of us working on it and we would assume okay you need to cut this member to be on this design so they they designed it in cad printed it out to scale on a sheet of paper where you take the piece of metal on there you lay it flat you cut it you get everything to fit and we had the one of the guys that ran the shop he taught some guys how to weld how to take weld or how to make weld and that was like my first or second exposure to that and the amount of time it would take to weld something to the amount of time it would take to clean it just to make this thing. He was like, yeah, it's easy to say, yeah, 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 we think we can get it done within this time. But the closer it's getting to that day before the competition, it's like best rule of thumb is to give yourself three hours and him being the lead, being on teams before, it's like he'd seen it so many times to where it's, it was like, if you don't give yourself that amount of grace period, you're really going to suffer in the end, just being up against the clock. And it was a rough one where like we were up against it. And I remember uh, we're at a Home Depot parking lot, got everything laid out where you've got your lay down yard, like material comes to work. You have a lay down yard. You have something that's supposed to represent the water. So you're building a bridge over the water. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the floor is lava, but this time it's mm -hmm. water. And the thing is like, you can't drop any of the nuts and bolts that you're using into the water because anytime you drop it, that's lost time on the job. Mm -hmm. And if you got to like go and pick it up and the more time you spend doing that is more time lost adds to your scheduling costs and things. So it was like, <laughs> don't drop the nuts and just be very diligent and communicating between three people, which is what we went with. You got a runner and you got two people building. So they can't, the runners got to stretch over the river, hand over the thing, and they've got to 
pass it from one person to the next. Every time something drops, it's like $5,000, $10,000 added oh, to your cost. The amount of time that you're doing adds to the cost. And at the end of it, they tally up the scores and it's like, here's how you did for your time wise. Here's how you did for your spending. Here's what you did for how much weight it could support. Obviously, if it can't support the weight or if it's pulled too much in and out of the page or in and out of the camera, like I'm doing, that's like a lateral pull. It's saying it failed the inspection. So like mm. part of it is the pre-work that you do before designing it, how much it actually works the way it's supposed to be when you build it in real life. It's like, did we do something wrong here? Did we build it with enough time with the supports and everything to make sure that we tested it and it works? Or do we build it the day before, take it to the competition? And if it breaks, it breaks. And then you just screwed. Like in mm -hmm. this case, you just out of a school competition, but like in real life, it's, oh, there's a $4 billion mistake. And uh, yeah. who's going to pay for this? And now mm -hmm. you're out, your family's kind of looking at you like, huh, you weren't paying attention, were you? Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's interesting. That sounds like a really cool little uh, competition. Um, so I guess if everything had to fit in that box to simulate like putting it on trucks to ship right. it to site right yeah yeah and it's like yeah i think i don't i don't know if there's a limit of members as they called it because with a trust system each like piece either the top this piece or the other piece each one of those represents a member and what when you cut it that's where the connections are and mm -hmm. as you go through different classes like there's a specific class if you're a structural engineer that specializes in connections like if where things come together it's almost like a mystery but you know that whatever load is going to be placed against it it's got to be able to resist that so that that was part of the challenge it's like how do you how do you put these things together and make them work without it being so um like too complex because like if you overcomplicate it, then when it comes time to build it, it's it's a mess to put together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I uh, speaking of wasting time on YouTube, I watch <laughs> like construction fails, I guess. And there was one recently where uh, they were putting up off sea wind wind turbines, and they something failed, and the whole like two of the blades just fell into the the deep sea. And I'm just thinking like, well, yeah, that's a I don't know how much wind turbine. That's probably like a hundred million dollar mistake there, because it was yeah. going to be installed. You, gotta, you can't just fish that out of out of the ocean. No, nope. it's done. And I feel like that. That's like that almost made the pit of my stomach hurt. I couldn't imagine <laughs> like you're on this project. It's got time constraints and like, mm -hmm. oh man, how are we gonna? Yeah. How are we going to answer that one to the shareholders, yeah, like, the CEO, like somebody's getting fired? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, is that, I don't know if that's the, because it seems like a government project or something. Is that on them or is it insured? I don't know. Yeah. Well, because I'm thinking about that when I'm doing, or I'm studying for the PMP now and it's like projects in general, like a lot of it's like really tight, like with mm. schedule and such. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I kind of want to get back into construction though. Yeah, I think that's works because mo my job now is more so operations, mm -hmm. and supporting operations. And sometimes there's little things that we're doing to upgrade, but it's still largely like operationally. 
cat on my desk. <laughs> no problem. Oh, I, yeah. I, I better get you out of here soon. I, I just realized it's almost been over two hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's all good. It's like time flies. But um, maybe I, I'll ask you, feel free to elaborate if you want on anything else. But um, I'll ask you two questions. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they either chat with you or link up with you online or offline? Yeah. Um, well, two ways. Uh, you could email me. Um, I think the email, uh, the email I gave you is uh, F-E-R-G-I, then the number six at hotmail.com. And uh, my blog is still up, even though I only update it like, I don't know, lately it's been like once every three months. It's, it's gotten to the point where with a blog where I feel like because in short, uh, it's a finance blog that promotes index investing. Hmm. So index investing is fairly simple. And so like, I can only write so much on it. So then it, the, most of the more recent posts have been on more extreme risky, not, I don't want to say extreme because it's not really extreme, but more risky kind of alternative investments like real estate investment trusts, just dividend stocks, um, even trading options. And other other little fun um, kind of financial theme things that I think about, like uh, uh, I do, like um, expenses and reducing your expenses and ways to do that and kind of stuff. So anyway, the blog is uh, profitmoose.com. Just okay. the word profit, like I'm making profit, and then the big old animal M O O S E. Yeah. So you can contact me on there as well. I think there's a feedback section and a contact. Awesome. Hey. I'm going to put your email out there. So if you start getting like a lot of stuff, it's like, it might've been Asher, but <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. And yeah. um, one last question I, I'd like to ask you is, are you still who you say you are? Uh, as opposed to the start of this episode, I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's a kind of a, like I said, it's like a loose identity that I try to follow. And it's really a question about values as well and where you want to prioritize your time and, and how you want to be remembered. And yeah, I think I still, I, like I don't have a lot of strict values about how I live my life, but there are some of them in there, like with the ethics and such that I feel very strong in awards and some that are a little more loose. So I can usually feel it in my gut if I'm straying away from what I want to, what I want to be. And uh, I usually want to start to feel that I usually correct myself pretty quickly or at least i think i do but i've noticed too like um over time you everybody changes so like sometimes your ethics change over time and something that you thought was okay before is no longer okay and uh, i don't know if you've ever heard that where roughly every seven years like 90 percent of your body is completely regenerated mm. so like you're almost a completely different person every decade or so so i'm definitely different than how i was 10 years ago and i really different than 20 years ago and, and 10 and 20 years from now will be different as well. And I just yeah. hope that it's some of those values kind of carry through to that future person. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I like that. Every, every response I hear is unique in itself. And I'm like, it surprises me, but I, I like, um, I like how you, you just think through that and just seeing like just the ideas going across the brain. I'm like, man, I, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope I can be somewhat insightful to somebody. <laughs> I think you were. I know you mm -hmm. were. But 
thank you so much for the time. Thank you for <laughs> letting me take so much, but it's a great chance to catch up and yeah. just really highlighting on a lot of things and just saying like everything's kind of going in its own way. See what comes next as the year kind of wraps up and mm -hmm. There's no telling what 2022 has in store for us. Oh, so for it'll sure. be interesting yeah. to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on and talking and chatting for the last few hours and yeah, yeah. Definitely keep in touch and yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, uh, I always like talking to you too. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I still talk to some of my friends from the U S but, um, you're one of the ones who I more consistently talk to. And I think it's good to get that different perspective. Yeah, because um, you get in your own bubble really easily. So it's fun oh, to talk yeah, to people yeah. from geographically further away every now and then. Yeah, it, it's fun. But we'll keep in touch. And mm -hmm. until next time, enjoy right. the, the evening. And uh, I guess you, the cat's getting like, hey, let me out of here. Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can hear him. He's, uh, I think he's bored. He's mm -hmm. uh, We have two cats and he's our kitten. He's about six months old now. So he's... Mm -hmm gets pretty ant antsy uh, if he's just kind of sitting around. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. before before I let you go, I don't know if you, you've ever heard of James Patterson, but um, he I think he does like crime novels and stuff like that, but okay. he did a different book that's kind of interesting, and I think you might get a kick out of it. It's got nothing mm -hmm. to do with finances. Like I know we talked a lot about that, but it's an interesting story. Like I won't say any more about it, but it's called Scaredy Cat by um james patterson Scary completely cat. unique with different you want to get it on audio audible mm -hmm. and just kind of listen to it or it might be on youtube if you can find it but i'll send you a screenshot of it so i don't forget make sure i got the right title but mm -hmm. check it out let me know what you think it, i For thought sure. it was yeah. hilarious yeah james or scaredy cat by james pat patterson yeah yeah uh, okay. i think that's the right one yeah got it Cool. Until next time. All right, Asher. See yeah. you, Brendan. Bye. Bye.